Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 22. It's the parable of the wedding feast. This is the last of three parables in an ongoing conversation Jesus has been having with these religious leaders that are both a warning and an invitation. He's trying to say, grace is real, I am here, come to me, even as he tells them hard things. And so this will be our last time in Matthew for the summer. The next, for the next several weeks, we're going to do some Proverbs to take a break. And so it should be fun. But let's, let's read this, Matthew 22, and we'll look at it. Uh, this is God's word. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the road and gathered all whom they found both good or both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to look at the wedding guests, at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. And this is God's word. It is true, trustworthy, and even this is given in love. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we need the Holy Spirit to uh, soften our hearts, to show us the beauty of your grace, uh, the grace that throws a party for those who once hated you. So show us Jesus, our King, who even with his hard words is inviting us into a festival joy. And so we pray that, uh, well, we just wouldn't leave here the same, that you would change us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's estimated that nearly two billion people tuned in to watch the royal wedding this past, the last month or so, whenever that was. Two billion people worldwide to watch, um, was it Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, tie the knot? Even Americans got up early at like 4 a.m. to watch this thing. <laughs> right, I did not, just to be clear. Right, this thing in 1776 happened, and I like sleep. But, but even in our day and age, we're just fascinated, not only by the joy of a wedding, but especially the joy of a royal wedding. It calls us to celebrate. And it was interesting to see who was on the guest list, who got to go. I mean, all the the who's who in British culture and American culture. Uh, You had David Beckham, the soccer star. You had Idris Elba, an actor. You had Elton John. I mean, Oprah was there. 
I mean, who doesn't want Oprah at their wedding? <laughs> right. Plus the family and friends of the groom, even though the camera focused on the celebrities. Right. And it was just this lavish affair. Uh, no expense was spared. It was really, it was almost a global celebration of the love of two people. And the wedding sermon began like this. It was a quote from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, where Bishop Michael Curry said, quoted this saying, Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death. Passion fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire. Love is a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. But if a man tried to buy love with all of his belongings, he would be despised. Celebration of love. That's what, what a wedding is. Now, let me ask you this. If you got a save-the-date card from Prince Harry and Meghan, would you have spared no expense to go, being given that great honor? Because really what our text is about is this great honor, the kingdom of heaven is calling you into this wedding celebration, this, the feast that the king, God himself, is throwing for his son to celebrate the wedding of Jesus and the church. And he's calling everyone to come in. Right? Which is counterintuitive, that Christianity at its core, this is what Jesus came to proclaim, good news, uh, that it's about joy. Right? It's not about this stuffy, claustrophobic thing. It's about wedding day celebration. Right? We're called to remind our face every week when we come to church on Sunday. This is about joy even as we weep over our sins. And one of the reasons I think Jesus uses this picture of a feast is because it's all the way through the Old Testament. Jesus just takes the Old Testament idea of a feast and plays with it. Because in Isaiah 25, this is one of my favorite passages, the feast, the, the, the party at the end of all things, uh, in Isaiah 25, 6 through 9, the kind of party that's going to make the royal wedding look like a happy meal, right? This is an even more elaborate and more global and a bigger celebration. God promises that on his, in his house, the house of Zion, that's what we just sang, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, all nations, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, aged wine, well-refined, and it's going to celebrate death being swallowed up forever. The Lord God wiping away our tears from our eyes and the shame and guilt of his people being obliterated and removed from his people, from just being taken away from the earth. It's gone. Right? So Isaiah, look forward to this day, a, a feast, when God's warrior king would destroy death, would take away our embarrassment and shame at, at being sinners um, and our guilt at willfully doing these things. All to celebrate God's grace, the coming new creation that invites people from all walks of life all across the world to come in. And Jesus just amps up the joy by saying, not only is this a feast, let's pretend it's a wedding feast, because it will be a wedding feast. And it's a wedding feast now at the expense of the king to celebrate the marriage, where the feast, it's a feast where God the Father is honoring his son, Jesus. And inviting you to do that. Inviting us to come in. 
And the key to this parable, and this is what we're the question, right? We're invited. The call goes out, but it says, Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. And when Jesus is arguing and talking and pleading with these religious people, the question of our text this morning, if it's such good news, why do people refuse to come in? Why, why are those who are in awe at having a seat at this table? And then there are those who just don't care. They don't show up. They just go back to their business like nothing has changed. So, why would anyone refuse this offer of an invitation to the royal wedding? And how do you get a seat? So the first point is just expanding on what we're already talking about. You are invited. God has invited you we're called a wedding party joy. Right? That's what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they just said, no, I'm not coming. They just didn't come. And if you look closely at verse 3, this is fascinating. It says that the king sent his servants to those who were already invited. They were already invited to this once-in-a-lifetime wedding feast. And so think about it this way. Who did you invite to your wedding, or who would you invite to your wedding? It's, it's people you have a relationship with. Family and friends. Right? Even your crazy cousin Eddie. Right? The people <laughs> your mom makes you invite. Right? And so just imagine the anticipation. You're the, the bride and groom. You send out all these these save the date cards and the, the invitation cards to your family and friends, everyone you know. And as you keep checking your mailbox, every single RSVP card says no with no reason given. That's what's happening to the king. People who knew the wedding was coming, and they still said no to the invitation. And so the king sends out another one. You know, it was the custom of the day to send out two invitations because... Um, it just took a while to get the party ready. And they, didn't, they weren't as time conscious as we are. They just said, a wedding feast is coming, get ready. And then when all the animals are slaughtered, cooked and prepared, and all the wine's there, and all the servants, and the wedding hall is ready to roll, then they would go out in the morning and say, come, the party is now. It's time to come. Right? And so the king graciously invites those people who snubs him the same day, and they're refused again. Right? They say, well, I've got work to do. I don't want to use my vacation days. Uh, sorry, the, there's stuff, there's work that has to be done in the farm. The cows have to be milked. I can't come in. And then others just said, yeah, I don't care because I don't need your party. <laughs> they just were apathetic. And so as you hear this, this is what Jesus is doing. He is telling the religious leaders who are refusing him that I am inviting, I am here to bring festival, wedding, joy. And the, the religious leaders were already invited to this party because they're ethnically Jewish. They were born into this promise of the great feast. And they're the children of Abraham. They're God's chosen people from ages past. They are the ones who should be first in line to show up because they knew the wedding was coming. They knew the feast was coming. But their idea that they should be there, <laughs> right, that this is my birthright, when the time came up, they were just passive. They didn't care. 
And so here's what we're talking about. Jesus uses the parable of the wedding feast to help you understand how God's call works. This is the doctrine of election. And I know this, that this comes with an edge to it, but Jesus uses the word chosen, so this, this, i got to explain what he talks about by being chosen and being called. Because in the Old Testament, they were chosen. If you were the nation of Israel, God said to them in Deuteronomy 7, you are a people that I chose, not because you were bigger than the other nations, not because you were better than the other nations. I chose you simply because I love you. It's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. He says, you are the fewest of all peoples. That's because I love you. And so God chose this particular group of people, not because of anything special about them. If anything, it was their lack of special qualities that qualified them for the choice. <laughs> all right? It's not because they're more attractive or better at doing dishes, right? God just says, I want to marry you and make you my bride simply because I love you. Unconditional grace. It's unconditional election. It's uh, God saying, I love you because I love you while you are at your most unlovable. And the, this was the story of the religious teachers. They were born into this invitation to the feast. The feast that would in culminate in celebrating God, destroying death, and taking away their guilt. And now that the feast is here in Jesus, they just say, no, we're not interested. They reject it. And so you've got to ask, how does God's call to people work? How does, how does God get people to come in and enjoy the feast, if, especially if he's calling people who don't naturally want it? Because this, this, this what parable of the wedding feast is teaching you how God's call works. And so we have to do some theology. And uh, that shouldn't be a scary word. Theology is just like dating God. It's getting to know what he's actually like, right? If you're in a healthy relationship, you want to know what your spouse is like, not what you want them to be, because if that's how arguments start, <laughs> when they fall short of what you want them to be. Right? So this is what I really want us to see this morning, is that the invitation to have a relationship with God is like being invited to a wedding party. Many are called, but few are chosen. And being invited, there's two parts to it. The two parts of the invitation are, are um, well, being invited and our responsibility to show up, to come into this party. All right, and so first part, this is a blow to our pride, but nobody gets into this wedding party unless God invites them. It's all at God's initiative. The invitation to come to the feast is solely due to God's choice, uh, his desire to throw a grand party with, with people who used to hate him. Right? It's all at God's initiative. God planned this party. He paid for this party. He arranged the marriage of his son to the beautiful bride who was unfaithful, the church. He sends out the invitations through his messengers, pastors, prophets, apostles, he determines who will be invited, and the call just goes out to everybody. This is God's choice. And so just rejoice in that this morning. If you're a believer, it's because God invited you in. And there's no other way to look at it because it's, it's a wedding feast. God calls us. And I know it freaks us out, especially as Westerners, because I, I make my decisions. 
I'm not dependent on anyone. I'm a self-made person. But think about wedding invitations in general. How do they work? They are 100% relational. The bride and groom, with a little or a lot of help from the mother or mother-in-law, determine who is connected, who is tied into the family, who should come. You invite who you want to your wedding party. God's the same way. And the beauty of it is, is God invites more people to his wedding than we would ever invite to ours. Because it goes out to all peoples, Jew and Gentile. The good and the bad. It's literally in verse 10. Right? Those people don't want to come in, fine. I'm just going to invite whoever's out there willing to come. doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are, just come. I want you in my wedding hall to celebrate. So the call goes out. It's God's gracious initiative, but it goes out in mass to the world. It's, it's the, that, the famous tension, right, between God chooses who will come, but the call goes out to the world, and you see that God really wants his wedding hall to be filled. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to have everlasting life. The second part of the invitation is our response. The Bible holds both together side by side. God's sovereign invitation right by our freedom and responsibility to respond to grace. Because the whole reason he tells this parable is because these guys don't want to come. And he's saying, look at what you're missing out. He's telling them to take responsibility for their actions. Come in. And what's interesting is the religious leaders took the doctrine of election and it made them passive, proud, and arrogant. And they didn't think they had to do anything. They just assumed when the party came, they'd be there to show up. And Jesus is showing them the doctrine of election is not designed to make you passive, proud, or arrogant. It's calling you to do something. It's calling you to humility, to respond by faith, to come in. It's the same way Peter puts it in 2 Peter 1. Make your, your calling and your election sure. How? By adding faith, and from to your faith add virtue and self-control and steadfast love, uh, brotherly affection, all these things. Right? It's just another way of saying come. God expects you to come. It's like a wedding invitation. If you're going to enjoy this party, you have to show up for it. It doesn't just magically happen. Come to the feast. So, how do you apply all that? And it was a whirlwind tour. Right? It, it's an invitation to actually come by faith. Right? Because Jesus says that the feast is ready because he is here. And we, the way we do that now on this side of the cross is to come by faith to the Lord's table. How to come in joyfully. And all that God would invite us, uh, people like us, and I know this is the hard part for us as Christians, though especially those who have been a Christians a long time, and those, especially those like kids, if you've grown up in the church, where verbally we say out loud, I'm a Christian. But we lose the awe, we lose the joy. You know, if you look at our lives, it doesn't look like wedding, a wedding feast. When we come to the Lord's table, it's just something we do. 
because it's part of the culture of Hope Church. And the joy in for being forgiven wanes, and we just get more absorbed in our jobs and our marriages and our kids, and it leads to apathy. So when the feast comes, it's really easy not to be ready for this and to lose our joy. And so this, is, this will be my pastoral plea to the kids especially, but this really is to all of us. Right? If you are in the church, kids, and you've grown up here, this is a part of your testimony. God started inviting you to this great party by giving you to your parents. And that's good news. I know as Christians, if we, um, if we feel like we didn't go out and, and do all the drugs and all the drinking and all the bad things, then our testimony is lame. And that's not how it works. Because it's from grace from beginning to end, if you are in the church, God is inviting you. But there's a thing you have to do, right? Kids, look at your parents. Yep, that's a couple of them looked up. <laughs> right. I know you didn't choose your family. Sorry, you're going to look like your parents no matter what you do. <laughs> but your job now is to come into the feast by faith. You are here watching this, being witnesses to the joy because of your parents. But at some point, you have to make this claim to faith on your own. You can't ride into the party at the end uh, on your parents' invitation. God's inviting you in particular right, to come. Right, God has chosen you to hear this, but you are called to come on your own. And so this invitation has both a comfort and a warning. It's a comfort that God calls everybody, but there's a warning because this is a party. And at some point, if you get too absorbed in your work, in your jobs, in your, in your pleasure, and in, in the fun that all this world has to offer that will fade, right, you're going to miss out on the party. Because that's how parties work. It has a date in time and space. And if you spend too much time wondering if I should come or not, you miss out. And so it comes with an urgent plea. You should come as soon as you recognize I'm a sinner and I need a savior. Because this is how the call works. Second, right? It's a call to joy. Rejoice in forgiveness. It's like a wedding feast. But you can't miss the bad news that's littered through all this, this, this parable. It's kind of depressing. It's, it's, a, it's always a humbling way to end the reading of the scriptures when it just ends with, well, and they got thrown out. <laughs> but you have to look at it, right? Because you have the wedding party. The king comes to check out his guests. And there's a guy who doesn't have the right clothes on, and it seems like it goes from zero to 90 as the king just says, okay, you, you clearly don't belong here. Let's, let's handcuff him, hands and feet, and throw him into darkness, and he's going to be miserable. Right? And so what, I, what I've just argued for is everything is of grace, and yet Jesus says there are those who, who get kicked out. What is that about? Because on the one hand, you have this king who's incredibly gracious. He keeps inviting. He says, come, come. And when the people ignore him and kill his servants, he says, fine, I'm going to invite the riffraff out in the street. It doesn't matter whether they're good or bad. They can just come in. It's incredibly gracious. Right? And if you go to the crossroads where they were inviting people, you would have found beggars. You would have found the rich. You would have found those doing business. You would have found people from all nations just congregating. So this is a gracious thing. 
But on the flip side, you have somebody obeying the call to come in, and he gets thrown out. All because of judgment, because he doesn't have the right clothes. So you've got to ask, what is, what is the kingdom of heaven like? Because on the one hand, it sounds like Jesus does away with all standards. The good and bad come in. Just throw them, you know, the law doesn't matter anymore. Just come in. What matters is faith. But if grace is real, why is this guy thrown out for not measuring up? Isn't that what Billy Graham made his, uh, that's what he's famous for, right? Come, just as I am. Now, why is he thrown out? It's because he doesn't have the right clothes. And this is the key. It's going to show you what makes Christianity different from religion and, not, and just unbelief. You know, no standards are standards. Christianity is completely, something completely different. Because you think about this, if you look at the, the parable, the servants went out to the marketplace and just said, come to the feast, it's now. They never had time to go home and put on their shirt and tie, uh, to put on the, the crazy hats that people wear to royal weddings, right, to get their own special wedding clothes. They just had to show up. So where did the clothes come from? That the king, all the wedding guests have the right clothes except for this one guy. It must be that the king, at great expense to himself, bought and paid for these clothes to clothe every single person in there. He paid their entrance fee. So then you got to say, okay, well, why is this guy wearing all the wrong clothes? I mean, he's speechless. And it must be this. He refused to put on the clothes that were offered to him. He tried to come in, assuming there's no standards on his own merits, and said, I don't need your generosity, I'm just coming. I don't need your grace. All right, so basically what he did, he said, I, I, he refused to admit his need for God to clothe him, to make him worthy to come in to have his offensiveness, his rebellion, covered by the kindness of the king. So if I could put it this way, I know modern, this is the modern way of looking at spirituality. If this was a feast, everybody would be in. There'd be no judgment and no standards. Just come in. God's a God of unconditional love and no judgment and no wrath. But the parable pushes back against that. This guy's thrown out. Then the flip side, those who are religious, those who take themselves very seriously, uh, they're moral, the pharisaical types, uh, those who let you know when you don't measure up, right, the good guys. They say, if you're going to come into this feast, you have to clean yourself up first. Right, you have to be good. Because if you don't meet our standard of goodness, you can't eat with us. And if you don't meet our standard of goodness, we're going to tweet about it and publicly humiliate it. <laughs> right? Christianity says the good and the bad get in. Starting to see the dilemma? What kind of thing is the kingdom of heaven? How do you get in? And what Jesus is saying is that the only way you get into the feast is by grace and the humility to accept the fact that you need clothed by the king. You need him to make you worthy to get in. If you have the clothes, come as you are, with those clothes on. If you don't have them, you're coming in your own standards, your own merits, your own good deeds, you're going to get thrown out. Right? 
And so you got to ask then, why do we need the clothes? Why do you need, why do I need, I'm talking to you, but I'm talking about me. Why do we need to be made worthy to eat at this feast if it's God's idea to eat with us? And there's two things in the parable, guilt and shame. The extreme version are the servants who, who, um, who were beaten and killed by those who refused the invitation. They are morally guilty of murder. They had invitation after invitation, and they decided that they just didn't want to come in, and the king got angry, and he responded just like any government in the world would respond if you attacked and burned down their embassy. Got to protect my servants, because to attack the servants is to attack the king, which is guilt. A lawbreaker. That's what sin is. Sin declares us guilty. It shows us guilty. Those who we break God's law. Right? And you get the same idea that what makes us guilty is sin. You get the same idea from uh, the way Jesus talks about taxes and in the next uh, little conversation he has in 2215. Because he talks about human beings as being made in the image of God. And maybe you remember the conversation where Jesus has brought a, a coin and they ask, you know, Jesus, is it, should we pay taxes as Christians or not? Why, should we pay the bullies? And what Jesus says, bring me a coin. He says, whose picture's on it? And they say, Caesar. And he says, great, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Right? And the picture is that, well, what is God's? What image is God's? It's human beings. It's us. Which is incredibly humbling. Because if you harm with your words, uh, with your actions, with your fists, uh, treat people shamefully, anybody made in God's image while they're God's property, the king, and if you attack God's image, it's like attacking God himself, which makes us guilty, which declares us unworthy, and makes sin immensely personal. And just like th those uh, people who refused to enter were punished, right? guilt calling us to be judged. But it's also about shame. Right? Because when we try to come in, knowing we are guilty, knowing we have hurt and injured people, and come in on our own merits, and God says, you don't belong here, that, that's a picture of shame, of saying, you need to be on the outside, because God is holy, and you are not. So what do you do with all this? All right, our guilt says we should be punished, and our shame says we don't belong at this feast, but God invites us in, and this is the good news. Right? Many are called, but few are chosen. Right? It's, not, it's not a numbers comparison. It's trying to get you to, to, to respond. It's calling you to respond. And the good news of the feast in the parable is that God himself makes you worthy by paying and giving you the clothes to come into his feast. Do you see that? We are given the clothes at the king's expense. And what, what did the king pay? The king is God. What did he pay? What did it cost him? His son. 
His only beloved son who came from heaven to earth and who wasn't welcomed with a party. He was bound, hand and foot, nailed to a cross. He was treated shamefully, mocked, humiliated. He was crucified on the outside of the city. During the Passover weekend, which is a giant party celebrating God. And he missed it. He was on the outside as a sacrificial lamb. And he wasn't given wine to drink. He was given vinegar. Uh, we didn't kill the fatted calf for him. We killed him to save ourselves. And he died naked in the dark, treated unworthy. The only one who belonged there. And you know what? He does that all so that you and I might be given these clothes of righteousness through faith. To be able to come in and drink the wedding joy, of the joy of being fully forgiven as you are. To have your guilt and shame taken away forever because it's been bought and paid for. You've already been kicked out in Christ. You can't get any further in. See, you're made worthy by mercy. And that's what this feast is calling you to do. Just to celebrate the mercy that you have found and rejoice about it. So to conclude here, have you received these clothes by faith? And we're going to come to the table, and that's, that's the entrance fee to eat with us. By faith received the clothes of Christ's righteousness, which is another way of saying, if you have these clothes, God treats you like you are perfect, like you belong here, like you are worthy, because Jesus is worthy, and he's given you that. All right? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to say, this is our God. He called us. He invited us, he cleaned us up, he's feeding us, he's rejoicing with us. This is his plan all along. I can't believe I'm here. Let's lift our glasses to him and to Christ who made it worthy, who is both the host and the meal. Right. So have you responded to that call by faith? Have you put on those clothes, the ones that you've been given? Or will you just yawn and be bored and go back to life as it was? Because here's what we're called to do. Because right? if you hear what we've said, you're called to this joy because you don't belong here. It's a gift of mercy. It means we should have this just bubbling awareness below the surface of just rejoicing in grace. Because you know, this is going to make this meal taste so much sweeter when you realize I'm not worthy to be here. Mm -hmm. Rejoice in the grace of your God and King. You know, one of the tragic things about life in Madagascar, I was there as a missionary for a while, and it's good for us as Americans, but it's tragic, is that you can buy a meal for somebody for 30 cents. At least you could when I was there 15 years ago. And so one of the things we did as, as a youth group, working with teenagers, both local and foreign, was say, okay, we want to teach you about grace. So let's Let's raise as much money as we can. We raised about $100, which is about 100 meals-ish. And let's go down and wake up the street kids down in downtown in Tanarivu and, and just buy them a meal and tell them about the gospel. And uh, you've got to get there early, right at dawn, because those, only those who need it are sleeping on the streets. 
And so what we did is for 30 cents, you could buy a plate of rice as big as your head with some chicken or beef on top of it or pork. And what was fascinating was the joy that these kids had at being invited. They didn't eat full three square meals a day. Because that's one of the joyful memories I have as we were leading a train of kids to the, to the restaurant to buy food for them. Is that my little language understanding, I just hear them laughing and telling jokes about how big this chicken is going to be, you know, or how delicious this meat is going to be. And, I, and rice, who doesn't love rice? <laughs> they were just in awe that they were going to have a good meal. And there were others that we invited who didn't come in. Uh, they just tried to mooch off us by taking my money out of my pocket. They didn't appreciate the invitation. See, what the joy of those kids was the unexpected generosity of their host, and that's what this is teaching us this morning, that we are made worthy by grace and grace alone. And so let's rejoice this morning in his grace paid for by Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are good. Uh, We thank you for your call uh, that that not only invites us, um, but also humbles us and calls us to do something, to come and run to Christ and receive the full forgiveness and to enjoy your presence now, which is a gift from beginning to end. And so I pray now as we prepare our hearts to come to the table that you would awaken our eyes and just deepen the joy of our salvation as we recognize that if, if, if we love you, it's because you first loved us. And that is good news. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.